When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. videos brought to you by the ohio podcast here at varsity videos we review and rank sports films from the super bowl to the toilet bowl i am your host chris wilds a self-proclaimed popcorn expert and a podcaster today i am joined by my co-host eric boggs eric how are things today good morning chris everything is um bright and sunny unfortunately it's just cold I can deal with a little bit of cold. I like it a little warmer. It's going to get up there eventually. I think we're supposed to see 40s today, Eric. So, you know, uh, I'll take that with sunshine. I yeah, I, 60s I, and sunshine a lot more, or even 70s. But yeah, I like I, I, I like the 70s weather that's going to be coming here uh, soon. Uh, looks like this upcoming week is supposed to start to warm back up again. We're going to get a taste of spring. Oh man, I can't wait. Get out there on the golf course, maybe get some home projects done, you know. But, you know, I still have to make a little bit of time for some movies, uh, you know, because that's what we do here. But, Eric, speaking of movies, let's talk about a little movie news. What do you got for us? Yeah, so here's one for you guys right right off the bat. So Tom Brady just retired, uh, as as uh, I'm, I'm sure all of you sports listener, listeners out there know. He's called the GOAT, the greatest of all time as far as the quarterback in the NFL. I would debate that, even though his Super Bowl run is is just sickening. It, it is amazing. But he is going to dip his toe into Hollywood, Chris. Um, so the Hollywood icons, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Marino, and Sally Field, will be starring in a movie called 80 for Brady which Kyle Marvin will direct and Brady will produce via his 199 productions inspired by a true story. Brady tells of four best friends and new England Patriots fans who take a life changing trip to the 2017 Super Bowl to see their quarterback hero, Tom Brady, who will be played by Tom Brady. Anyways, chaos ensues as they navigate the wilds of uh, the largest sporting event in the in the world, 
Tomlin, Fonda, Marino, and Field will play the quartet in the movie. So, sounds like a a, a road trip movie with four older, well-financed women <laughs> who have a thing for Tom Brady. And I think it will be probably a decent movie, although it kind of sickens me that Tom Brady's producing a movie uh, where he stars himself, <clears throat> and that seems a little uh, little out of touch with reality, if you ask me. But it is what it is. It should be interesting to see how this how this pulls off uh, when it's got it's got some name power behind it there. Well, I'll tell you, I'm excited for it, Eric. I think it's going to be great. Uh, you know, those of us uh, who are Ohioans are not exactly Tom Brady's biggest fans to begin with, but uh, that's just born into us, of course. But uh, you know, I, Tomlin and Fonda have worked together before. Obviously, they. They were in uh, Nine to Five with Dolly Parton, which you know one of my wife and mine's favorite movies. It's a great older movie, uh, you, you know. So I'm looking forward to that team up, uh, them teaming up again. Um, I, I think it's going to have some great comedy to it, obviously, given this, the the people that are in it. Uh, Sally Field, uh, you know, she's been tremendous for many years. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, it's it's uh, it's based around a sporting event, not necessarily yes. the sport itself. Um, and sometimes those make really good movies. Yes, I agree. And then sometimes they make the uh, really bad movies. <laughs> this is I'm true. trying to think back to the name of the movie that had uh, da- Daniel Stern in it as the Celtics fan, and I can't remember what it was. But oh my gosh, it was just not good. Anyhow. So that is the movie news for this week, and we have some great matchups this week, Eric, in our 64 movie challenge. Celtic Pride? Is that what you're there talking you about? There you go. Thank you. Not a good film, Eric. No? <laughs> no. I've never Maybe seen it. Maybe one we'll so. have to look at in the future, but... <laughs> gotcha. It's better than the original wrestler. Let's just give me Everything that. Everything is, dude. <laughs> yeah, so... All right, so this week uh, in our best of the rest bracket, we have Brian Song versus the legend of Bagger Vance. In the Olympic bracket, Eddie the Eagle versus Personal Best. Uh, In the sequel bracket, we've got Major League Two versus Teen Wolf Two. And then in the uh, family-friendly bracket, we have Searching for Bobby Fischer, uh, which is a chess movie versus Pele, Birth of a Legend. Eric, where would you like to start out at? Let's start right there. Let's go to the family friendly and talk about a number one versus a number 16. You know, the NCAA tournament bracket's going to be released this weekend. And uh, one of my favorite things is to always pick a good sleeper. So let's start there. <clears throat> All right. So the, in the family friendly bracket, number one uh, seated, Searching for Bobby Fischer is about a chess prodigy boy who refuses to harden himself in order to become a champion like the famous but unlikable Bobby Fischer. Um, The film stars Joe uh, Mantenga as Fred Wetzkin. It's got uh, Ben uh, Kingsley as uh, Bruce Pandolfini, I believe is how his name is pronounced. Uh, Of course, Max... Perank plays uh, the prodigy Josh. Uh, Joan Allen is his mother. 
And then the Lawrence Fishburne is in this as Vinny, a basically playing a um, a street smart chess player, which I thought was very interesting. Um, a recognizable cast. Um, you've got David Paymer in there. Uh, he was in um, uh, Happy Gilmore as the the uh, fan who um, is all over uh, Happy during the. Uh, when his uh, when Happy's out golfing, uh, William Macy's in this as well. Um, you got Anthony Heald. Just just a lot of faces from the 80s and 90s that you will recognize in this movie. Um, interesting film, not necessarily quote unquote a sports film, more of a game film, but we threw it in there anyways because of its popularity. It's going up against the number 16 seed, a, a more relatively newer film. From 2016, Pele, The Birth of a Legend. Um, definitely a more of an unknown cast uh, since it is uh, a more of a Brazilian-looking uh, cast because Pele is from Brazil. Uh, you do have the name Vincent uh, Donofrio, who plays Fellow. Donofrio, yes. Yeah, he that. is a recognizable face, obviously. Diego Boneta plays Jose. Kevin De Paula plays Pele. And then the cast of others who I, I just don't recognize from any other shows. Um, So 1 verse 16, you got a 1993 film in Bobby Fischer, Searching for Bobby Fischer, that was very, very popular. A slow, slow build and burn movie that is very interesting, but the action is obviously not there. Pele, which is all action. The thing is action from the very beginning. Um, Both have kind of a political background. Pele, obviously a national political background in sport. Uh, Bobby Fischer, more of a parental guidance um, political type of background story. And uh, Chris, I'm interested to hear which one you like better. You know, I'm going to say this. Bobby Fischer, I think, is definitely the better film. I love the action in Pele. I thought that as far as a sports movie goes, Pele is definitely the better movie. As far as a better film goes, Bobby Fischer, definitely the better film. You know, I am tempted because... We, we we deal so much with sports, and this is a sports movie podcast. I'm tempted to give the edge to the number 16, believe it or not. But Bobby Fischer is just a better film overall, so I'm going to go with Bobby Fischer. You're tempted. I, I am way tempted. I'm actually going to vote Pele. I think Bobby Fischer is way too slow of a film. From, from it is me. very slow. It is very slow, and like you, I said, Better sports movie, Pele is definitely the better sports movie. 100%. Well, the the uh, the listeners agree with you. By a, by a vote of 19 to 2, I saw one of those votes was your wife, Bobby, by the way. Um, <laughs> 19, no surprise there. Yeah, 19 to 2, searching for Bobby Fischer will win this one. And now goes on to take on one of your favorite films, number nine seeded. Kicking and screaming in the second round. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So kicking and screaming. Searching for Bobby Fisher gets the dub, even though I was more for Pele here. All right. Uh let's just move up back our way back up the list, shall we? Let's go to the sequels bracket. 
Major League Two versus Teen Wolf Two. Um, I'll hold off on talking about Major League Two in depth uh, for obvious reasons. Yes. Let's start with Teen Wolf Two, which was the number 12 seed. Todd Howard is a struggling teenager. Nothing seems to be going very well for him until he turns into a wolf. This is a continuation from, obviously, Teen Wolf, the original. does have uh, one individual from the original field. Mark Holton, as Chubby, uh, decides to come back. And what's interesting about this is Jason Bateman, who plays Todd Howard, the main role, who's basically the Teen Wolf here, um, they connected him to the original Teen Wolf, Um through not only Mark Holton, but James Hampton, who is his uncle, who was the original Teen Wolf's father. Uncle Harold was the father in the original Teen Wolf for Michael J. Fox. So there's a little bit of a connection there. The sport, instead of being basketball, is boxing, which I found interesting. Um, Is it as good as the original Teen Wolf? Obviously not. I mean, usually sequels are not. But I actually enjoyed this film. Now, Major League Two, we're going to dive into depth in this thing here in just a little bit. But for the most part, the entire cast from Major League One returns. Charlie Sheen is back as Rick Wildthing Vaughn. Tom uh, Beringer is back as Jake Taylor. Uh, Dennis um, Haysbert is Pedro uh, Serrano. You've got... Um, James Gammon as Lou Brown. Um, We'll get into Omar Epps here in a little bit. (laughs) But then you also have uh, some newer uh, characters. Uh, Takaki Ishibashi is Ishiro Tanaka. Eric Bruscotter is Rube Baker. Um, Bob Uecker, of course, is back as Harry Doyle. How could you not uh, uh, get him back, right? David Keith is the new uh, new uh, vil- villain here, and Jack Parkman. So the the cast is well known. Um, basically, the Indians are now a World Series contender, but last year's hunger is now replaced with complacency and bad decisions by the new owner threatened to tear the team apart. It was filmed in 1994, or at least released in 1994. Team Wolf was 1987, so only seven years apart. Major League is ranked number five in our sequel bracket. Team Wolf number 12. Chris, who you got? Well, you know, the thing with Teen Wolf is both the original and this one had actors that I really, really like. And then in, in uh, Michael J. Fox and, and Jason Bateman. Teen Wolf didn't do it for me, the original. Teen Wolf 2 even less. Uh, I'm a Major League guy. And even though Major League Two is not near the movie that the original was, give me Major League Two. Yeah, it's 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 Major League Two all day long, and it, I don't really know that it's a debate here. So um, let's go see what the fans thought of this as well. Um, holy smokes, this might be one of the biggest lopsided votes ever by fifty-two to one. Major League Two gets to move on, 
And Major League Two will be waiting on the winner of the four versus 13 matchup, which is D2, the Mighty Ducks versus Angels in the infield. So Major League Two looking very strong here early on in this tournament. All right. Eddie the Eagle versus personal best in the Olympic bracket. Number six seeded Eddie the Eagle, which we uh, have a... <laughs> which we have uh, a show on a few weeks ago. So go check that one out. And it's taking on the 11th seed, Personal Best. Let's start with Personal Best since we've already done Eddie the Eagle in depth. The intertwined lives and loves of three highly ranked athletes striving for the national team. Chris bounces between the beds of a male coach, Terry, and her female friend, competitor, and role model, Tori. Um, rated R, obviously. Uh, from 1982, it's a Robert Town movie. Um, stars um, Meryl Hemingway as Chris uh, Cahill, Scott Glean as the coach, Terry Tingloff, uh, Patrice Donnelly as Tori. Those are the main three characters here. Um, I'll just forewarn everybody, this film is definitely not for young eyes. Right. Maybe not even for older eyes. <laughs> uh, that's, I'm just going to leave it at that right there. There you go. Of course, Eddie the Eagle is the story of Eddie Edwards, the notoriously tenacious British underdog ski jumper who charmed the world at the 1988 Olympics uh, from 2015. Uh, it stars... Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman. Uh, again, we've already gone over this film. Go back and listen to that review if you would like. It's no chat. It's not even. It's not even, not close. even close. Not even close. For me, it's Eddie Eagle all day, Chris. A hundred percent, Eddie the Eagle. Yeah, this is personal best. Just did not do it for me in any way, shape, or form. I could tell if you were from a certain class of people in the United States who likes that type of thing. You would like that film, but I'm, I'm a, I'm uncultured swine as Aaron likes to say. So that's not me. Um, and you as the fans voted 15 to five, a little closer than I thought it would be. I, I think a lot of people just didn't have never seen these movies, which is a shame because a lot of you need to go watch Eddie the Eagle. It's Absolutely. fantastic. Eddie the Eagle will move on, and Eddie the Eagle will now take on, in the second round, the number three seeded Miracle. That is going to be a knockdown dragout fight. Miracle that, versus That really best. should be a one versus two matchup. I don't care what anybody says. Probably, yeah. Uh, although, I, although, although I, Tanya, is very, very strong. That's a strong yes, number it one. Yes, it is. Yeah, so that that's one we need to uh, <laughs> get ready for in the second round right there. All right, last one here, man, from best of the rest bracket. And I saved this one for last because I think this might be interesting here. Let's start with the number five-seeded Brian Song. Based on the real-life relationship between teammates Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers, and the bond established established when Piccolo discovers that he is dying. This was actually a made-for-TV movie back in 1971. It stars James Caan as Brian Piccolo, Billy D. Williams. Yes, that Billy D. Williams as Gail Sayers, 
And Jack Warden, who I absolutely love as Coach Hallis. Um, good movie. Uh, much better than a made-for-TV movie. The thing has got a lot of love from a lot of people, especially a lot of our older listeners really, really, really love this film. It's going up against the number 12-seeded The Legend of Bagger Vance. A down-and-out golfer attempts to recover his game and his life with the help from a mysterious caddy. Will Smith plays Bagger Vance. Matt Damon is uh, Runolf Juna. You got the beautiful Charlize Theron as Adele Evergarden and Bruce McGill, who's Bruce McGill is a great antagonist, no matter what movie he's in, as Walter Hagen. Um, you got the young Michael Moncrief as Hardy Greaves in this film. Just a very, very well made movie. Both of these are very good. This is going to be interesting which way you go here, Chris, because I could be persuaded either way, but I am leaning one way, so I'm going to let you go first. Well, I'll tell you, both, you're right, tremendous films. Legend of Bagger Vance, you you know, at times slow developing, but very good movie. The cast, oh my goodness, it's it's like an Oscars event to, to, to see the cast that's in this movie. Uh, you know, all tremendous, tremendous actors. Brian Song, a little older. Um, but that true story thing just always rings with me. And, you know, I, I think that the performances were very good in both. I think probably a little better in Bagger Vance. But I'll tell you, Brian Song is just, it hits so hard. Give me Brian's song. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Brian's song. All right, I'm gonna go the other way with you. I'm gonna go with the Legend of Bagger Vance. I enjoyed that movie more. Um, I thought Will Smith was phenomenal in, in that movie. Yeah. Love that. Love the ending of that movie so much. Yes. Um, the listeners agree with you. Brian's song by a vote of 41 to 12. We'll move on, and Brian Song will now take on the number fourth seed, Kingpin. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about two completely different films there. Yeah, a little, little different, you know, kind of vibe going with those films. <laughs> Just a little bit. So yeah, that's that's what the, that's what's going to happen there. So all right, we've got four movies that we need to quickly add to our flick chart here, Chris, real fast. So uh, I guess we'll start with Pele, Birth of a Legend here, and uh, add that one to the flick chart. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So Pele against The Natural from 1984. I'm going to go Natural. The Natural, yeah. Uh, Pele, Birth of a Legend versus Mr. Baseball from 1992. I think I'm going to go Pele here. I'm going to go Mr. Baseball, and let's flip for it. And, Chris, I'll let you choose. Heads or tails for Pele? Well, you know, it doesn't matter what I choose. It's usually heads I win, tails I lose. So, or heads <laughs> you win, tails I lose, rather. But, uh, yeah, let me have tails here. All right. Hey, you're 1-0. Tails it is. Woohoo! Good choice. All right, Pele, Birth of a Legend, versus Teen Wolf, the original from 1985. Give me Teen Wolf. 
Not even a question for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to agree with you, Eric. I'm not a huge Teen Wolf guy, but I'm gonna agree with you on this one. All right, here's one where the Pele might win here for me. Let's see. Pele, Birth of a Legend, it gets from 2002, Slapshot 2, Breaking the Ice. I really enjoyed Slapshot 2, but I think Pele's the better film here. It is, definitely. It'd be Pele as well. Oh, a classic Pele, Birth of a Legend against The Big Green from 1995. A couple soccer movies. I love The Big Green. I do too. It's it's just an adorable movie. Give, give me the big green here. All right, big green it is, which means Pele now sits at number sixty on our flick chart. So that is its starting position, and now we will add Teen Wolf two to this list. We'll see if it somehow finds its way going up against the original. That would be. That would be funny. Teen Wolf against Blue Chips from 1994. Is this even a question? Oh, Blue Chips all the way. I, I didn't think you would go against that one. Okay, Mr. Baseball from 1992 against Teen Wolf 2. I'm going to go Mr. Baseball again. Yeah, so am I here. All right. That means that it's a, a chance to go up against the original is not going to happen. Teen Wolf 2 now against The Sixth Man from 1997. I'm actually going to take Teen Wolf 2 here. <laughs> uh i am as well i like the six man but teen wolf 2 was it's it's so 80s i love it all right this one's not even going to be close for you teen wolf 2 against little giants from 1994 oh you don't have to ask there come on <laughs> little giants L- little giants all day long yep <clears throat> all right a newer one teen wolf 2 against fighting with my family from 2019 i, I take fighting with my family yeah, not even a question for you. I'm questioning it, so let's go fighting with my family. Oh, my. Teen Wolf 2 against Little Big League from 1994. Ooh. Ooh. I think yeah, I'm... Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. I think I'm leaning to Teen Wolf 2. But my stepson you know, would say Little Big League is what he would say. I'm thinking I'm going to go Little Big League. All right, let's flip for it. Heads, Teen Wolf 2. Tails, Little Big League. And it's Heads. So Teen Wolf 2 will move on. And now sits at number 76 on our flick chart. All right, personal best. This is going to be very interesting. We're going to start at the bottom, Eric. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's see what the matchups give it. Personal best against Blue Chips. Blue Chips. Uh, every day. Personal best against Necessary Roughness from 1991. Oh, uh, necessary Roughness. It's not even a question. No. Personal best against The Sixth Man. Will you finally vote for The Sixth Man? I am. Yeah! <laughs> Personal best against Rebound from 2005. Oh, here you go. I'm even going to vote for Rebound here. Me too. Personal best against The Wrestler. All right. <laughs> The, the original bad wrestler. The original bad wrestler from 1974. I'm gonna take the wrestler. Ooh. This is how much I dislike that film. Ooh, I, I can't do that. All right, I I'll know go. You can't. Heads, personal best. Tails, the wrestler. Heads. It was personal best. Now up against Caddyshack Two. Yeah, the one of the worst. <laughs> Caddyshack Two. <laughs> one of the worst. 
sequels ever made. Caddyshack. The worst. The worst. And it's still better than Personal Best. Yes. I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> Personal Best now sits at number 88 on the flick chart. And 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 you would say that's still too high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would. All right. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. Legend of Bagger Vance now gets uh, added to our flick chart here. All right. Here we go. From 2000, The Legend of Bagger Vance against the oh man, the original 1976, The Bad News Bears. I'm going to go Bagger Vance here. Ooh. I am not a huge Bad News Bears fan. I know that you're not. terrible, but. I I I I I just got done watching uh, the Bad News Bears sequel. Yeah. Last night, along with the remake, uh, which it get gets terrible grades. And I'll say this: those are both better than the original Bad News Bears. Yeah. Even though I love the Bad News Bears, oh, I I, I kind of love the whole series. So I'm gonna have to agree with you here. The Legend of Bagger Vance. All right. Bagger Vance against from 1990, Days of Thunder. Uh, I'm going to go Days of Thunder. It's, yeah. It's the best. The it's it's got to be one of the best uh, best uh, race car movies Racing, ever made. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Bagger Vance against White Man Can't Jump from 1992. Oh, wow. That's tough. This is a tough I'm gonna one. Go, I'm going to go White Man Can't Jump here. Yeah, Bagger um, Vance is a great movie, but let me tell you, the comedy, just the chemistry in that movie with Willie, uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, give, give me the White Man Can't Jump. The Legend of Bagger Vance against from 2015, a newer one we just added, The Bronze. I'm going to go Bagger Vance here. I am as well, yeah. I was waiting for you to try to make an argument for the other way. Oh, oh. These movies were only came out one year apart. Legend of Bagger Vance against 1999's Any Given Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go Any Given Sunday here. I'm going to agree with you. This is, That was tough. That heart with football guys, Eric, let's face it. Yeah, The Legend of Bagger Vance against Jerry Maguire from 1996. But Jerry Maguire is not football. Give me Bagger Vance. It's not football. It's it kind of is. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think the legend of Bagger Vance has got more substance there. Jerry Maguire's got a lot of uh, great lines that lo- yes. people love to use. But beyond. Beyond that, the legend of Bagger Vance has got a lot more substance there to bite into. Yeah. Um, congratulations. So th- this might be the highest ranked film we have out of a film that lost in the first round. So the legend of Bagger Vance now sits at number 38 on our flick chart, despite losing uh, in the first round um, of this tournament. That is, I know if you look at our top, if you look at our list of movies, um, let me do it real fast. There is a movie that lost in the first round last year. That's very, very high on our list. Um, we are Marshall. Well, as I say, we are Marshall. Yeah. Number 14. It's ranked 14th on our flick chart and it lost its first round <coughs> matchup last year somehow. Bad matchup. So, all right, cool. There you go. Those, those are in. And so now 
Chris, I think it's time to talk about this week's uh, movie. Yeah, Eric, so this week's movie is Major League Two. Absolutely. So Major League Two was released March 30th, 1994, had a budget of 25 million, produced 30 and a half million in the box office. So it made uh, five and a half million dollars. It was written and directed by David S. Ward. He had assistance from R.J. Stewart and Tom S. Parker as writers. It was produced by the Morgan Creek uh, Entertainment Company. Distributed by Warner Brothers. The music was arranged by Michael Columbier. And as far as main actors are concerned, we will get into that in just a minute. Uh, flick chart stats. Let's do that real fast before we talk about this movie. A global ranking of 6,103 on Flick Chart is Major League Two. It wins 32% of its matchups. 3,437 flick charters have ranked the film, and it has been ranked 31,932 times. One flick charter has it as the number one movie on his or her flick chart. 19 have it in their top 20. And as far as the film is concerned, those Cleveland Indians are at it again, Chris. After losing in the ALCS the year before, The Indians are determined to make it into the World Series this time. First, though, they have to contend with Rachel Phelps again when she buys back the team. Also, has Rick Wild Thing Vaughn lost his edge? Are Jake's knees strong enough to make it as a catcher another year? These and other questions are answered as the Indians recapture the magic and win the championship their way. Uh, The film stars... Uh, again, Charlie Sheen as Rick Wild Thing Vaughn, Tom Beringer as Jake Taylor, Corbin Bernstein as uh, Roger Dorn, Dennis Haysbert as Pedro Serrano, James Gammon as Lou Brown. Those are all five guys. Uh, and Margaret Witten as Rachel Phelps. All six characters that have returned to the film, along with uh, Bob Euchre as Harry Doyle from the original. And we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into this in just a minute. Omar Epps plays Willie Mays Hayes in this movie. 
not the same actor who played Willie Mays Hayes in the first. Definitely not Wesley Snipes, yeah. Eric Bruscotter is Rube Baker, a new character. Uh, Takaki Ishibashi, also a new character, plays Isiro Tanaka. Uh, David Keith is the antagonist as Jake Parkman in this film. Um, those are the main the main players, Chris. Major League Two. I think we need to dive into this thing here, man. Absolutely. Well, Eric, as we discussed, uh, today's film is the follow-up film to one of my all-time favorites, the 1989 classic Major League. Uh, as you remember, at the end of the original, the bad news bears of Major League Baseball, the Cleveland Indians, led by over-the-hill catcher Jake Taylor, Speedy William Ace Hayes, and Rick Wild Thang Vaughn, you know, they stuck it to toxic owner Rachel Phelps a little bit, winning the AL East back when there was just an East and West and making the woeful team relevant once again and keeping her from moving the team from Cleveland to Miami. I thought that was a great ending to a movie, by the way, Eric. Well, Major League Two picks up right pretty much as we're getting prepared for spring training the following season. We open up on everybody's favorite announcer, Harry Doyle, who, by the way, can I just say, Harry Doyle makes this franchise. We have mentioned it before. He needs his own film. He really does. Uh, we open up on an episode of Tribe Talk where Harry's wrapping up the events of the previous season. He's getting everybody pumped up for the new season. Uh, we discover that third baseman Roger Dorn has retired and purchased the team. Uh, the team returns, as you said, most of the key players. Plus, Can we talk about the negotiations on how he purchased the team real oh, quick? Oh, that, that is great. Is it not great? So he gets offered the team for $110,000. That's it? $110 million. <laughs> Under, okay, $110 million, right? I'd be willing and to go as high as 100 I'm willing to do 100 She comes back with 120 20. He goes, wait a minute. And then she's like, 130 And he's like, oh, hold on here, 140 she gets up to 150 and he's like, okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he spent $40 yeah. million dollars more than what he could have if he would have just taken the original offer. What terrible negotiator there. Which which definitely comes back to play a key uh, – be a key element in the film. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, so that, that negotiation was very key. Um, as we said, they returned most of the key players. You've got Jack Parkman, big-time free agent. He's signed. Expectations are really high. However, as spring training opens, we discover this isn't quite the same team. They don't have quite the same demeanor as they had. Uh, lost a little bit of edge after some success. Uh, you know, Jake arrives. He's hobbling in worse than ever. He's met by Lou Brown, who says, got a kid in camp need some help with. Uh, and it's rookie catcher Rube Baker. You know, Jake and Rube are introduced. They're discussing the issues right about then. We've got Willie Mays Hayes rolling up uh, in a limo with this massive entourage. We find out he's made a movie in the offseason. Uh, you know, and I'm with take Jesse the Body here. Ventura. Yes, with Jeffy, Jesse the Body Ventura. The Black Hammer and White Lightning. White Lightning and Black Hammer, yes. Uh, taking a step back, though, when we first see spring training, you got all Rick's fans out there and they're all, they got the haircuts and they're in their leather jackets and there are all these bikers out there. And he pulls up 
in this really nice luxury car gets out perfectly, you know, perfectly cut hair. He's got the, the manicured nails, this expensive suit on, and just kind of deflates the entire crowd when they see him like this. Uh, Parkman comes into the clubhouse, immediately has an altercation with Jake, who's trying to welcome him to the team. Uh, says, you know, when I beat you out, don't blame your bum knees. Uh, then we have Serrano entering the clubhouse, and we discover that the badass voodoo man has become a Buddhist. Which I tell you, this is one of my favorite character transformations of the movie, Eric. It's great. But he's free of all the Especially anger. during that opening season game. Yes. <laughs> he's free of all the anger that had given him his edge. So we no more of the cigar smoking, rum drinking Joe Boo in the in his locker. We now have a statue of Buddha which resides in his locker. So they take the field during spring practice. We see Willie's bulked up a little bit and he's decided he's become a power hitter in the offseason. You got Vaughn coming out throwing five pitches and decide that's enough for the first day. He's also developed this series of pitches outside of the fastball so that he doesn't tear up his arm, of course. He's also decided in a marketing ploy he's going to name all of his pitches, which, again, this comes back multiple times in the movie and I think is a great little, yeah, just a great little thing inside the movie. Uh, Jake goes to work with Rube, and we find out the little problem is that we've got a catcher who can't throw the ball back to the mound. He's as sharp as a tack when it comes to throwing out runners, but he can't get the ball back to the pitcher. After the first day of practice, you know, Jake and Willie are having this conversation here about uh, how uh, Rick has let the money go to his head just before they get into Willie's limo to go back to his house and watch his movie. So no irony there at all. Day two of practice rolls around. Vaughn's facing Parkman in practice, who, you know, he, he's like, why? where's the heat? Why aren't you throwing the fastball? Rick says he's working on some new pitches, and that if Parkman could hit it, he could name it. Of course, Parkman drills this breaking ball out of the park and gives <laughs> it a name that's not exactly appropriate for a family podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, that might be my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It, it's great. Yes, the immaturity either, either of me thought or, it was or funny. Doyle's rant later on about the different pitches. I like that one as well. Yeah, when he's rhyming everything. Yeah. But we move over to Serena, who's just fouling off everything that's thrown to him. Jake's working with Rube, who's still struggling to get the ball back to the mound. He finds a playboy on the ground. I think this is great, too. He finds a playboy on the ground. This discovers that Rube's all about reading the articles. He's the one guy that actually is reading all the articles in Playboy, Eric. And <laughs> he comes up with this yeah. plan that actually works to get him focused on being able to get the ball back to the mound. Well, at this point, I think we start to see that Lou is a little bit realizing Jake's potential as a coach, which is going to come into play here shortly. So enter the spring training montage, because this movie has more montages in it than anything I've ever seen. You know, Rocky's always good for one, maybe two. Every sports movie has at least one. This one has like six. Yeah. But, part of the problem yeah. with the movie, in all honesty. Part of the problem with the movie. So, 
We're, we're into the spring training games at this point. We see Willie Jack and Homer's Ricky's getting lit up like a Christmas tree. Jake's struggling to stand up and walk because of his knees. Serrano's grinding into double plays and hugging all the opposing players. And then Parkman, we really don't see a lot of him as a player other than the fact that he's just being a total jerk to the teammates along the way. Uh, this segment does, though, provide some of the great one-liners out of the movie. Uh, Rube, one of his favorite, and I use it all the time, Eric. It's like, I couldn't hit sand if I fell off a camel. <laughs> or or when, uh, you know, Willie's up there hammering, hammering the ball and Brown states, yeah, he's doing great off a guy who's going to be bagging groceries in two weeks. Right. Uh, we jump to final cut down day. We find out that Taylor makes the team, but so did Parkman and Rube. They're all catchers. At this point, Dorn and Brown are meeting in the coach's office. Lou's telling Dorn he, he's concerned. The team has completely lost its focus. Of course, Dorn at that point is just talking about, is April too early for Roger Dorn appreciation day? Yeah. <laughs> if this was, I love I was it. Like, I was like, are we going to get a bobblehead reference here? <laughs> right? Well, so Jake comes into the office. He's telling him, hey, carrying three catchers probably isn't a bad idea. And that's when they break the news to Jake. Hey, we aren't carrying three catchers. We want you to stay on and coach. Of course, Jake refuses, says he's quitting baseball. He's done. Of course, after some soul searching and talking to his his wife, he goes back to Brown. Yeah. How about that, that? So he goes he just goes back to his house to talk to his wife. Um, played by the same actress from the original yes, movie, which was Renee like Rooster. one of the bases for the entire first movie. Yes. And and they blew it off in this movie. I thought that was weird. Right. And they developed budding relationships with, with Vaughn and two two other players, or two other women that just, I, I don't know. Well, I'll get to that in a little bit, but it really didn't work for me. Uh, but yeah, they just kind of blew off that 10-second appearance by Rene Russo. Uh, but Jake goes... Tells Lou, hey, I want to come back. That pretty much wraps up the initial segment of the movie where we're reintroduced to the characters and kind of see their see their development slash changes uh, to their, their personalities. So, Eric, what did you think of that first segment? Not bad. I thought it, it did a good job of, of catching you up on what the offseason was like between the two films and how that the offseason changed all the characters. But the main main thing that you get from this is a punch in the gut when you realize that Willie Mays Hayes has a different actor. And I'm not saying that that it, this actor played that character poorly. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, is when you have such a beloved character played by Wesley Snipes in the first film and you change from Wesley Snipes to a new actor, it's going to affect the film. And so you get this negative punch to the gut right off the bat. And I think uh, Major League Two, that is one of the problems with the film is you're all, you're already kind of let down a little bit there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people who I've who I who I know who have seen this film, watched this film, love the series, then the franchise, love the Cleveland Indians as a as an actual team, now the <clears throat> Guardians. Don't say it. Don't say it. I can say it because I'm not a Cleveland fan, so it's okay. But I know for you guys it's 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 really hard to swallow but i i I digress um 
I just think that that is what I hear the most from people as to one of the reasons why they do not like this film as much as the original, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think two of the big problems with the film are, A, the lack of Wesley Snipes. And, and again, I like Omar Epps as an actor. Yeah, he's I been in a lot of really good sports movies, I man. He's done a lot, not just sports movies, but things outside that. I mean, I don't know if you were familiar with the TV series House, but he was on there for a while. I thought he was exceptional in, in that role uh, on House. Uh, you know, he's a very good actor. But yeah, I think the switch of the character there was a big issue. I'm trying to remember all the sports movies he's been in. He's been, uh, he was he in the program, in, uh, Love and uh, basketball. basketball. Yeah, Love and Basketball. Uh, he played the running back in the program. Yep. Um, obviously, oh, we he had plays... him head to head in, a, in our last bracket last year, I believe, in two movies. I can't remember what they were. Yeah, there was another one he was in, too. So um, he's but been yeah, in a lot of sports movies. Very good actor. This. He had, you know, forgive the, the, the baseball reference here, but he had two strikes against him coming into this role. I think. Correct. Correct. Uh, and then. The fact that you mentioned it too, Rene Russo's part was so minimized in this film after being, you know, one of the key storylines in the last. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, outside of the play on the field. The whole emphasis of the movie was her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, other than that, I think they stayed true to character in many ways. I think they went a little over the top, too, with the Willemaze Hayes character. Uh, you know, I could see that transition as you, you, you go Hollywood, so to speak. But I think they took it to just an extreme with all the different changes they made to that character. Yeah, so, I, I feel like so one of the reasons this film doesn't hit for me, I guess I'll just throw it out now before you get into the second part of the film. They took everything that was really good in Major League, the original, yeah. and they're like, well. You know, one slice of pizza was really good. Let's give everybody four slices of pizza now. It's like, right. it, so they over they overdid the punchlines, the jokes, the the yes. character buildup that they had. So they just overdid everything, and it came out kind of like burnt pizza. If you if you get my reference. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great great example. So let's move on to the next segment of the movie, where we catch up with the team as they are back in Cleveland. So they they arrive at the airport. Of course, Rick is met by his girlfriend slash agent who wants him to do a photo shoot with some disadvantaged youth and their teacher. And the teacher just happens to be Rick's ex. And I forget the name of the young lady who plays this role, but I really like her. She was in uh, Dazed and Confused. And I'll tell you, I really liked her in that film as well. Uh, Not a great, tremendous actress as far as lead roles. Tremendous, I think, uh, supporting actress. But anyhow, Ricky has a brief conversation with his ex, tells her he sold the bike. He's not the bum he used to be. To which, of course, she replies, kind of like the bum he used to be. But she gives him his old jacket that he left at her apartment. Then we see Rick jumping on The Tonight Show with Jay Leto, which I think this is, I think, a wonderfully awkward scene. Uh, You know, Clearly uncomfortable. He's being interviewed by Leno and answers all the questions honestly, but in the most boring fashion possible. Uh, And he does this much to the dismay of his girlfriend. 
We finally get into a little bit of game action, and during the home opener, they are facing the hated White Sox, who swept them out of the playoffs in the previous year, back when the AL West existed, and we had the East and West champions facing each other. Today, you are unlikely to see the Indians and White Sox, uh, since they play in the same division, but I digress. Uh, the fans, especially super fan Randy Quaid, who was, I think, a highlight in this movie, are really pumped. Vaughn's the starting pitcher. He comes out, strikes out the side on nine pitches. Willie leads off in the first half. Man, he's calling his shot, drives one deep, but short of the wall. In the third, Rick starts to get lit up a little bit. Parkman goes to the mound, says, hey, let's throw the fastball. Which, of course, he did. It only goes 84 miles an hour and gets just destroyed for a homer. As the Indians return to the plate, Hayes calls his shot again, again, only to have the ball fall short. Down 4 nothing. Parkman comes to the plate, drives a three-run homer to get the tribe back into it, rounds the bases, and then we see just, you know, as we've been seeing all along, what kind of person he is, because as his teammates gather around home plate, he ignores them all and walks straight back to the dugout. Jump to the ninth with two outs, and Eric, you you had kind of uh, alluded to this earlier. Got the tying run on base. Serrano comes to the plate. He hits a line drive, which strikes a bird. Instead of running to second, he runs to the outfield to check on the bird. The outfielder tags Serrano out before the tying run can score. Eric, I got to tell you, I got a real problem with this storyline right here, because first of all, he was out the minute he left the base pass. Yeah, exactly. So they, they fell short there. Again, I think trying to go for comedy, they just completely ignored the fact that it might actually be a baseball fan <laughs> watching the movie. The the rules of baseball. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if the game wasn't bad enough, we find out Dorn is broke. He can only maintain the, two, the team for two more months with four months left in the season. So what does he do? He turns the major league ballpark into a minor league stadium, selling sponsorship all over the stadium. <laughs> I, I, I love that. It looked like a NASCAR. It really did. Uh, Rick comes out for his next start, gets blown up again, giving up a homer to a guy who has been in the majors for seven years without a home run. The next day, you know, Rick's shooting a commercial, which was a complete disaster. Reminiscent of Rocky 2. Only Rocky may have been better than the commercials than Rick was. Uh, we then get another great losing ba- baseball montage. Uh, feeling, uh, featuring Rick getting blasted. Uh, you know, Willie sliding about three feet short of the base, which kind of feel there like we were trying to go back to the original. Yep. And, and it just fell short. Uh Serrano doing yoga in the outfield and missing an easy catch. And then you've got Lou Brown having, I think, one of the greatest in-dugout tantrums in sports history. Yes. <laughs> he's he's the one guy who in this movie is still believable because that um, would be a major league coach in that situation. I yes. I also feel that that was the one portion of the movie, not just the scene, but – him in general as the manager and what they chose to do with him. That was better than the first movie. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, 
you know, we go the next day. Vaughn finds out he's been relegated to the bullpen. While in the pen, Rick gets some encouragement from the kids from the youth program. Has another little encounter with his ex. Yeah, we can see the sparks starting to fly again there. So let's get a you know, little situation going there. Trying to get two relationships going in the movie, which, like I said, I felt neither one really worked well for the movie. But that's neither here or there at the moment. Uh, you know, and with two outs, Vaughn's tried in, or, or Vaughn's in there trying to close out the win. Gets hammered, gives up another run. At this point, super fan Randy Quaid starting to get a little bit on edge there. Really just starts to attack. And then Parkman comes out in the, in the interview after the game and blasts his teammates. Which I love this line. They're either they're losers, either by birth or by choice. Love it. So Next, we find Rick in the office of a sports psychologist. He's, you know, trying to figure out why he can't throw his fastball. Of course, Lou Brown's going to confront Parkman about his comments, only to find out that Dorn has traded Parkman to Chicago. But don't worry, Eric. He got an outfielder in return that used to play for the Giants. The Tokyo Giants. Right. Right. So we got... Hiroshi Kamikaze Tanaka enters the movie at this point. He has a tendency to knock himself out, running into the walls, chasing fly balls. And oh yeah, by the way, he drops them as soon as he runs into the wall. <laughs> Just uh, and, and let me tell you, I actually do like as a new character. I do like Tanaka. Yes, I do as well. Uh, specifically because of his interactions right. with Serrano. Yep. He takes immediate issue with. We jump to the locker room. We've got Brown giving the team a speech about, hey, we won one yesterday. We won one tomorrow, today. That's two in a row. We win tomorrow. That's called a winning streak. I love that. <laughs> that's that's probably the most famous line from the movie, in all honesty. Yes, it really is. But you know what? Just as he's finishing up the speech, we find out Rachel Phelps is back. She has bought the team back from Dorn at a substantial profit, and, but she has been nice enough to retain him as the GM. She comes back and she tells them, basically, you screwed me last year. I came back to watch you fall in your faces. Now, Brown thinks this is great. This is just what the team needs to get fired up. Of course, then Taylor makes the mistake of saying, oh, it's not the same team. Lou gets fired up at this. It has this angry rant, which, as you you know mentioned, his, his, where his character went, his angry rant results in a heart attack. Of course, Lou puts Jake in charge of the team for the rest of the season, and Lou tells Jake, "Don't worry, it's okay. Things couldn't possibly get any worse." But oh, Eric, they can get worse. Because Dorn announces that he has activated himself yeah. and put himself on the <laughs> roster. Yeah. So we jump back to the clubhouse the next uh, scene here next. And Serrano and Tanaka are having another kind of tenuous exchange there between them. Where Tanaka is trying to convince Serrano it's okay to be a warrior on the outside and have inner peace. 
you know, Serrano just blows him off. And this leads to I, I one of my favorite exchanges between them, the you have no marbles speech. <laughs> uh, you know, Tanaka tells Serrano basically he's weak. He's got no marbles, no, shall we say, testicular fortitude. Uh, so we go to the first half of a doubleheader next, Eric. And this is just where the movie's getting ready to change, start start to to make a change. Rick refuses to go to the bullpen because Quaid is still in the stands, just giving him hell. Rube is hit by a pitch. Hayes refuses to run because his leg hurts. This leads to a fight scene, Eric. We love my fight scenes. We get a fight between Willie and Rick that was in the dugout, which results in the entire team fighting each other and the whole team being ejected from the game. <laughs> you know, you got Vaughn fighting Hayes, Dorn punches out Slider. Uh, but the best part of that whole scene was definitely the commentary by Doyle of the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the game, they're in the clubhouse, and Willie tells Rube, hey, you know, man, you're lucky. You got hit. You ain't going to have to play for a couple days. Of course, Rube goes off. Tells Taylor, it doesn't matter how hurt he is, he's going to play. In the second game, he comes to the plate, bottom of the ninth, down by one, and he gets a base hit. While Willie, obviously inspired at this point, tells Jake, hey, put me in there for me, let me run, let me run for him. Steals second, steals third, then gets this great walking lead and steals home to tie the game. Then we get Tanaka, who again challenges him, Serrano's manhood. It's Serrano fired up. Serrano goes to Jake get to pinch it. Serrano blasts the game-winning homer. The next day at the ballpark, we find out, you know, Rick and his girlfriend, they split up. Uh, Rick and his ex go out for pizza. They are trying to fix his pitching problem so he can get up to speed with the rest of this team. It's starting to, you know, come around a little bit. They end up spending the evening together. You, you know, that pretty much does it for this segment of the movie. And but I'll tell you, there were so many things wrong, I thought, with this portion of the movie, Eric. Uh, yeah, how so? It, it, it dragged at times, I thought. Uh, again, the relationship dynamic between Rick and the ex and Rick and, and Flynn didn't work for me tremendously. Okay. Uh, for me, what did keep the movie going, though, Bob Euchre and his descent back into alcoholism, I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He begins slurring more and more. Yeah, as, his, his snide comments. I love the commentary when he passes out by the, uh, the, the, the color guy there. Who's like, my drive. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was great. The fight scene again. I love a good fight scene. This one was pretty comical. I love the dynamic between Tanaka and Serrano, but overall, I thought it was average during this segment. What were your thoughts? I thought the middle portion of this movie actually did its job in moving the storylines along. along. Now, I I will agree with you. I don't think the storylines in this film are as nearly as strong as the original. And so even though it it fulfilled its purpose in moving those along the, 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 the storylines themselves are the issue with the, yeah. with the film. Um, 
there are portions of this film, especially here in the middle section, like you said, that just don't hit. Um, they're they're almost like so predictable, you know, that they yeah. become tropes in, in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and so I understand where you're coming from in that aspect, but it's not terrible. I mean, it, it's like I think average is, is the right word for it. It is very average and it which hurts the movie because Major League is anything but average. Absolutely. I was so expecting that's a, so much like more. if Major League Two was a standalone movie and you didn't have Major League One, I think a lot more people would enjoy this movie than what they do. But Major League is so good that it really hampers Major League Two, unfortunately. And I think that is what you're dealing with here in the middle section of the film. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's open up the, this really what I consider the final segment of the movie. Uh, we get Serrano introducing Joe Boo to Buddha. Right then, you know, we're, we're back on our winning ways right there. That, that just to be symbolized that Joe Boo is back. Uh, then, hey, guess what? We got another baseball montage here, Eric, as, as we get some winning baseball this time. The baseball action during this segment I thought it was actually fun and at times even believable. Yeah. Uh, Vaughn still struggling, but the rest of the team is really coming together. They eventually climb their way back up into first place. As they're trying to close out the division title, Vaughn's on pitching two outs in the ninth, but asks to be taken out. Of course, they bring in a, a relief pitcher who gives up this bomb. It looks just when it looks like they are about to lose the season Tanaka climbs the wall literally climbs the wall stands on top of the wall and makes a game-saving catch <laughs> yes like uh, King Kong <laughs> yeah absolutely the reference uh, there. you know after the game Vaughn shows up at the youth center these kids have planned a big party for him but he rushes out to a marketing event of course this leads Rick and Nikki to get into a fight because he's rushed out on him we also find out at this point that Lou is going back into the hospital for open heart surgery just before the playoffs start. And I love the character here because he's just like, you know, the doctors think they're going to keep me from baseball. Well, I got them fooled. I got a transistor radio and headphones. But, uh, yeah, so Lou's going back in the hospital. Uh, he, tells, he tells Taylor, you know, you guys got this. And in all right, it looks like they did. They come out and win game one. Game two, defensive gem by Serrano saves the day. Game three, you know, home run by Rube. He's our big hero. I really love the way they developed, by the way, on a side note here, Rube into almost becoming Jake. Yeah. A younger version of Jake. Yeah. I love that development along the way. Uh, you know, just as about they're going about to go into game four, team's loose, feeling good. Enter Rachel Phelps again. And by the way, I love her. She is a tremendous antagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she comes in to wish them luck and remind them, don't worry about how bad you were last year and how bad your individual performances were. Hey, this is the biggest game of the year. You guys got this. 
you know, totally trying to sabotage the team. And you know what? It works. In game four, Parkman drills Vaughn's pitch for a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth. Game two, Parkman crushes again. Or game five, rather. Parkman crushes it again. Gives the Sox their second win. They go out, tie up the series 3-3. And we find out that during game six, Rube hits a little bit of a hiccup and misses the pitcher. So he's starting to freak out about that. So we're back to where it is a 3-3 series. And after the game, Taylor's trying to come up with a new plan for how to help Rube. (laughs) Which I love, by the way. If Playboy doesn't work, let's try the Victoria's Secret catalog. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then he also approaches Rick. He's like, listen. I may need you in this one. Rick says, hey, I'll be ready. He's going to be ready for what? To run and hide when the game's on the line? So at this point, Rick does a little bit of soul searching. And that's the last we see of him until the ninth inning of game seven. Yeah. Which you're about to get into, in my opinion, the best parts of this film. The, the yes, two best this, parts. Yeah, this next sequence, as we enter game seven, I do think they, again, not to use another baseball analogy, but they hit another home run here with, with the game seven sequence. But as the game starts, we got Rube struggling, mentally with the throw back to the plate still. But he keeps throwing down to third. The umpire says, you know what? You do that again, you're going to make me a very unhappy man. So Rube throws back to the pitcher, gets it there, finds out, hey, this plan is working. So in the third, Eric, uh, the Indians take the lead. Uh, in the fourth, we see the Sox come back, go up two to one. In the fifth, the Sox actually add to their lead. But Hayes makes a game-saving catch, which kept it from getting even worse. Now, in the fifth inning, the fifth inning to me is one of the highlights because we have the exchange between Parkman and Willie Mays Hayes, which I think is great. Uh, when he tells him he's not going to, he not, doesn't intend to slide. I absolutely love how that sequence plays out. Uh, you know, Baker lines it down the line. Indians go up three to two. So in the seventh, Parkman comes up. He jacks himself a three-run shot, gives the lead back to the Sox. They are up five to three at this point. And really, it's not looking good at this point. Top of the ninth rolls around, and they need base runners. They got to get somebody on base. So what does Taylor do here, man? He calls on Roger Dorn to go in and pinch hit. (laughs) Or more precisely, to be a human target. Take one for the team, buddy. (laughs) Take one for the team. And that's exactly what Dorn does. He goes out and he takes one for the team and then (laughs) refuses to come out of the game. Uh, He's out there. He's stretching. Finally, they get Dorn out of the game. The Indians have two runners on and Serrano at the plate. 
And then to fire up Serrano, Tanaka gets the whole team to bust out these bags of marbles and rattle the marbles at him. Basically saying again, hey, he had got no marbles, man. Mm-hmm. I love it. Motivates Serrano, who drives one out of the park, and the Indians take the lead 6-5. Then you get into the ninth inning, we're, we're getting one out away from the AL pennant. And Taylor has to go to the bullpen. And the only person left out there is Vaughn. So he brings in Vaughn. And, you know, you know, which they make it seem like it was out of necessity. But, you know, I think this is what it was all building up to. This is what Vaughn wanted. This is what we knew was going to happen in the movie. But Vaughn comes out and, man, he is the bad boy of baseball once again. He's the wild thing once he again. He is the yep. wild thing. We've got the haircut back, the leather jacket, and Vaughn comes out and demands to face Parkman. But he's willing to walk the bases full and put the winning run on just to face Parkman. Yep. Taylor, of course, relents, gives in, says, okay, go get him. So Vaughn walks back, gets Parkman, comes out first pitch, 99-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, right past Parkman. Next pitch is a foul tip. And again, we come back to the name the pitch thing. Because he says, I got your, I got your speed now. He goes, Vaughn says, that's okay, man. It's coming again. Old number one, the Terminator. You hit it, you can rename it. Uh, Vaughn then throws it, throws the next pitch, 102 mile an hour fastball right past Parkman. Of course, the celebration ensues. Indians win. Rick makes up with the X, and the Indians are off to the series for the happy ending. Uh, I'll tell you, there were, the last game, I love the, the last game because of, obviously, you know, as an Indians fan, I just love seeing it even though it's pretend. It makes me feel good. <laughs> but, you know, the redemption of Rick there, obviously, is huge. Uh the 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 transition with or, or the exchange between him and uh, Randy Quaid as he's in the bullpen waiting to come yeah, out yeah I absolutely love uh you know everything about that final game sequence they they got it right again overall as a film Eric again I was let down because Major League was so good right. But not a bad film overall. No, what were your not. thoughts? So you didn't mention Lou's. Uh, uh, oh, the dance at the end. Dancing and the celebration in the hospital. And oh, yeah. Love that. Crying there. That's too. Yeah. This is some tragic stuff because of yeah. the English TV or English show on the TV. French. The French. It's a, it's a French program or something oh, like that. that. Yeah. And uh, anyways, I. I, I love that. That's my second favorite part after the wild thing comes back out and the whole crowd's singing the song. Love that. Um, that, yeah, the ending of the movie, you could take it and paste it into major league and it, you wouldn't know. Yeah, it works. It works, but everything else is not major league. You're right. And so my, I look at it as, as far as sequels go, it's much better than most sequels are. Yes. Um, as a standalone movie, it's probably you know somewhere there in the middle. 
But when you compare it to Major League, it falls flat on its face. And that's that's kind of I feel like the the how the majority of people think about this movie. So and, yeah, I, I, mean, and yeah. I do as well. And this was my first time. You know, I'd never seen it until this until now. And I've watched it twice already. And it's not bad. It's just not. It's just not major league, which is like something you have to watch at least once a year, you know? Oh, yeah. Before the season starts every year, you know, I, I have to watch it. But, you know, like, like you said, I think it's OK, if not in comparison to really what is an iconic first film. You know, and so so many sequels, like you said, do run into that, uh, you know, short of maybe Rocky Two and the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Godfather 2. I don't know that there are sequels that can actually be as good as or better than the original. T2, Terminator 2 is definitely one. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that one too. Um, how about uh, how about Batman is it Batman Returns or what is the one with the Joker in it played by Heath Ledger? Well, see that was more a that one's definitely more could, of a recreation than a, that one definitely could be a standalone too, but that's that was that was Dark Knight, wasn't it? Dark Knight, yeah. yeah. All right, man, let's add Major League Two to our flick chart, shall we? Let's do that. All right, Major League Two from 1994 against Blue Chips from 1994. Which is the better 1994 movie? 1994 is a pretty good year. Uh, let's see. Well, I got a lot of love for Blue Chips. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going blue chips. I think I have to. Yeah. All right. Major League Two against Necessary Roughness from 1991. Ooh. I'll take Major League Two here. Ooh. I think I'm leaning Necessary Roughness here. Although, uh, was it Joe Ireland and the uh, football pants is, is not, not a bad way to make a movie. All right, heads major league two, tails necessary roughness. Here we go. Tails it is necessary roughness. Major league two against the original Space Jam from 1996. Oh, major league two. It's not even close. All right, oh, the brand new one we just added, major league two against home team from 2022. You know, major I like league home two team, for me. But I'm gonna go major league two. Yep. Oh, Major League Two against When the Game Stands Tall from 2014. I'm a When the Game Stands Tall fan, so I'm going to go with that one. But you know, I think I might have to 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 part with here. When the Game Stands Tall is a great movie. Yeah, I do love it, but I'm going to go Major League Two. All right, heads Major League Two, tails When the Game Stands Tall. Tails it is. Man, I'm just on a roll again. Here we go. Oh, Major League Two against the greatest game ever played from 2005. I'm going to go Major League Two here as well. I'm going to agree with you on that one. And Major League Two is at number 73 on the flick chart. So for a sequel, they should be proud. Probably better than that. Let's look at the top 70 here. So we are the 70 through 80. So at number 70, the Flying Scotsman. I think Major League Two is probably better than that. Oh, absolutely. 71, Semi-Pro. I like Major League Two there, too. Yeah. When the game stands tall, number 72. Major League at number 73. The greatest game ever played, number 74. Little Giants is 75. 
Home Team 76, Fighting with My Family 77, Teen Wolf 2 78, Little Big League 79, Ice Princess number 80. Uh, outside of outside of for me, when the game stands tall and maybe Little Giants, Major League Two is the best in that group. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's Little Giants and Major League Two. Game stand tall, stands tall. Like I said, I'll give you an argument on that because I really like that film as well. Yeah, and semi pro. I know you're not a big fan, but semi pro. I, I I I enjoy that film as well. So, although, although to me, you flip a coin on that one between Major League Two and semi pro. All right, man. So there you have it. Guess what we're gonna be watching next time, Chris? Oh, Eric, I cannot wait to find out what we're gonna be watching next time. We are going to be going to our first ever animated sports film, and cars oh nice going off the tracks a little bit here so you know i have not watched cars in probably i don't know seven eight years it's time to go visit lightning mcqueen the original and see how well he did there so see i remember when i first came out man my kids my son and i we probably watched that thing a hundred times it felt like because he loved that he was just the right age when cars came out and he absolutely loved cars in fact he went from uh he went from thomas the train to lightning mcqueen that was how that was his transition in life man so well yeah and, and i love it i think i think it's a fun film it's been a while since i've watched it i know that john likes it so maybe that's something he and i can sit down and watch this week so uh yeah i'm really looking forward to watching cars so, yep, so that's next up man alright well that does it for today's show Eric please remember to rank and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you access your podcast also make sure you are following us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash mostly videos until next time see you on the field, on the court at the track and in the theater have a great night everybody good night everyone mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.